Welcome. I'm glad you've tuned in to the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. Each week, we have a conversation about a fresh ministry idea or an innovative ministry approach, and some weeks, it's both a fresh idea and an innovative approach. I'm Dennis Weens, your host. One day, Rod Laughlin was standing in the airport bookstore looking for a book to read on his flight. He asked himself, why am I looking for something to read when I have the Bible in my briefcase? The answer came quickly to him. The Bible is hard to read. So Rod, welcome to the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. We want to talk a little bit about why you found the Bible hard to read, because I think many of our podcast listeners would agree with you that it's hard to read. So welcome. Thank you, Dennis. It's wonderful to be here with you today. We've known each other for a couple of years, and uh, this project now has gone on about 14 years since you had that bookstore experience in the airport. Um, it's amazing how God has blessed this effort, and I'm excited for our podcast listeners to learn more about it. So um, take us back to that bookstore experience and why you felt the Bible was hard to read. Well, it's been quite an adventure. Actually, I was coming back from uh, doing work in Afghanistan. I had um, uh, made four trips there. And on this last trip, I was just really tired coming home. So I was in the bookstore in, in I believe it was in Minneapolis. And yeah, I'm talking with the Lord. I'm not really sure. Did I have that thought? The Bible's hard to read. Did I, did I have the thought of why? Is it hard to read or was God talking to me? I really think the Lord was saying, why is my book hard to read? So anyhow, uh, I walked over to the, um, it, it is hard to read. And and why? You know, I don't know. So or I didn't know at that time. I just thought it was. Now, I became a Christian when I was 28, and I got saved simply reading the scripture. I read one night in my home at 10 o'clock at night. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And I had been going to a priest confessing my sins. I was taught if they commit a mortal sin, one that's serious in its nature, you know is sin and you did intentionally, you lose all grace and you're going to hell until you confess that sin to a priest and do the penance a priest tells you to do. So here the Bible was saying to me, you have been saved, past tense. So I got down on my knees and, and it's not of works. I said, Lord, wherever this leads, whatever it means, I'm just going to believe your word. I'll never again confess my sins to another human and do penance to get saved. I'm going to believe like the word says here, it's a gift. And I got saved just reading the scripture. So some parts of the scripture are so clear, simple to understand, but other parts seem very difficult. So in the bookstore, I walked over to the nonfiction book section and I started thumbing through books. And I discovered that in nonfiction books, Different kinds of material presented different ways. Poetry isn't done in paragraphs, just like narrative historical records. Law code is always formatted in law books as Roman numeral one, letter A, letter B. Many of us are involved in 5013C corporations because 501C3 as the outline numbers in the in the IRS code that lead us to that section of the code. Law code is always structured, very structured. If you owned a company and all you published were books about Kansas, since we're in Kansas, and I came to you and said, hey, Dennis, I've got a book about the history of Kansas. 
I've got the uh, history of the first families that came here. I've got their genealogies. I have the first census that was ever taken in the state of Kansas. And how would you like to publish that? And just say, man, that's my target market. I just published books about Kansas. And I give you the manuscript and you find the genealogies are written in paragraph forms. The first laws of Kansas all written out in paragraph form. I give you the first census of Kansas, but it's all written out in sentences. You would laugh and say, Ron, nobody's going to read this. Whoever reads a sentence in paragraph form? And yet we expect people who read the Bible to do that. So all of your books you looked at and you looked at since, there's been multiple, multiple different formats over 100 years, 200 years, to make reading books and articles and magazines easy to read. And yet over, an, over 100 years, the Bible format hasn't been changed. And no, you're, not, no you're, not, you're not talking about uh, a translation. You're talking about reformatting how the Bible is structured to make it easy to read. That's right. And throughout history— that has been done. If you take the first manuscripts, there were no spaces between letters. There were no upper and lower case. In the earliest manuscripts, which of course are in Hebrew, uh, there were no vowels. And the people added vowels, the Masoretes added vowels. Eventually spaces got added. It kind of depends on the language it was translated into. Uh, spaces were added. If you read a Greek text today, you, you see spaces. All these things, as they were developed over time, people modified the manuscripts to those new, new formats, made it easier to read. So that kept being done. And finally, uh, we had the King James Version in English, which was the first English version where it was um, produced in mass numbers in a small enough size people could have the Bible in their home. Before that, they were all pulpit Bibles. And then in 1860, Cambridge University Press, uh, they did something really, really bold. Instead of each verse being a line by itself, they actually put everything into paragraph form. The whole Bible was in paragraph format. They published Cambridge University Press Paragraph Bible. Pretty amazing formatting change. Well, then in um, 1910, uh, Schofield did something even more dramatic. He put notes on the page with the text, with theology. And so these are changes in formats of how we present the information. But then the, I, I think maybe it's because of our, our very conservative view of Scripture. All Scripture is uh, God-breathed, theonoustos, uh, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. And we just want to respect the Scripture so much, we were kind of afraid to do anything with it. So from 1860 to 1950, there was no change in Scripture at all. Then in um, the 50s, Eugene Nida, who worked for the American Bible Society, and another man, uh, they came up with the idea of using thought-for-thought -thought translation, which was normal in non-biblical translation. Right. They came up with the idea, of, let's have a thought-for-thought -thought Bible. Let's make it really easy to read. And so they moved further. They moved away that for the first time from the literal text to make it easier to read by going to thought for thought. Now, the, the good news 
is a Bible that's uh, for people with English as a second language and has a fourth grade vocabulary. So that made it really easy to read, but of course, not particularly accurate. So the, um, the Bible Society did the NIV, which is a thought-for-thought translation with an absolutely full vocabulary. And that's become our major English translation other than the King James. Uh, And it is much easier to read, but again, it's not literal, it's thought-for-thought. So then uh, Kenneth Taylor took it a step further and did a paraphrase in the Living Bible, moved further from the literal text to make it easier to read. And then uh, Eugene Peterson did the message, the Bible in idiomatic English to make right. it even easier to read. But you don't know what the, the text even says. So um, people have recognized the Bible's hard to read. I read through the whole Bible after God gave me this thought, and I found there's 23 kinds of information that we would normally present in 17 formats. And so God laid it on my heart to do a Bible in 17 formats. I should uh, let the podcast listeners know that after you came to Christ at age 28, you went on to become a pastor. You went to seminary. You've pastored two churches, and you've done many, many other ministries uh, through your life. And the last 14 years now, you've been working primarily on the readable Bible. And our podcast listeners can go out and look for the readable Bible. We'll give you information how to find it. So this has really consumed you now for the last 14 years, and it's quite an exciting project as you make uh, the Bible very readable in a very, very new way. It's It's been quite a venture. I went to my wife. Uh, I had had some business reverses. I wasn't in the ministry anymore. I was 65 years old, 2008. And I said, sweetheart, we're, we're down to, to just enough money to survive a few years and uh, I ought to get a job. And indeed, two people had offered me jobs the week before, even though I wasn't looking for one. And uh, I said, but God's given me this vision of a Bible in modern formats. I think it'll take five years. I think it will take all the money we have. We'll be 70 years old. We won't have any money in the bank, no lifetime savings, uh, but we'll have a Bible translation. What would you like me to do? And she says, if you can do it, and it's never published, and nobody ever sees it, and you can be happy because you have a better understanding of Scripture and a better walk with the Lord, let's do it. So I had to think about that, and I came back and said, yeah, I can do that. And it took 14 years, took all of our lifetime savings, and um, the Lord uh, convinced us that we were not to self-publish it, that if it were to be published, and of course we have no money to publish it, but if it were to be published, God would take care of that. So God introduced me to uh, John Herring, who owns Ironstream Media, a Christian publishing house, in 2019. And I showed John what I was doing, and he said, I'd be honored to publish that, but I'm a small Christian publisher, and I can't afford to bring a Bible to market. So I said, I think that Becky and I would really like to have a publisher who couldn't afford to publish it, because then if people get to see it, we'll know that God did it. And indeed, John has just uh, taken tremendous risk. It's been a struggle for him, for Iron Stream Media, but God has brought it to market, and God is doing amazing things. The the, uh, Museum of the Bible bought some copies. They sold out in a week, so then they ordered three cases, and they said, we'll let you know how long it takes for us to sell these, 
and then we'll order enough to get through the tourist season. So God's doing things one step at a time and bringing the readable Bible in front of people. And the first printing is just about sold out. They're just about to order the second printing. Tell our podcast listeners, what is the readable Bible? Okay, the readable Bible actually is a new translation because no, none of the owners of existing translations would let us format their translation in modern formats. Now, so let me explain that. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's that's the literal text. So that's the way the readable Bible reads. Whenever we go to a thought-for-thought thought phrase, we footnote the literal text at the bottom of the page. So you have the literal translation in front of you all the time, but sometimes in the text you have a thought-for-thought thought translation. For instance, in Psalms, we read that uh, God says, let all flesh bless the Lord. Well, okay, when's the last time, Dennis, you talked to somebody about all flesh? You done that lately? I haven't done that lately, no. No, <laughs> you know, we don't use that term. So what did God mean by all flesh? Well, either he meant every person, meaning let all people bless the Lord, or he meant every living thing, let all creatures bless bless the Lord. But if you present all people or all creatures, you have stepped away from the literal text, all flesh, and you've made an assumption. That, that assumption is it doesn't include animals other than humans, or you made the assumption it includes humans. So we want the reader to always know when we stepped away from the literal text so the reader can see the assumption we've made. So the readable Bible is a very literal translation. Again, whenever we go to thought for thought, the literal is footnoted. And it is presented in the format that is natural to your eyes if you're reading English books printed in America or Europe today. If you're reading a law book, you expect the first page to have Roman numeral one, and it's got a heading which gives you the subject. And so I'm pulling off um, off my shelf here, Leviticus, and I go to page one. And at the top of the page, there's Roman numeral one, introduction to the community, instructions to the community about sacrifices. And then you expect a letter A. What's the first subject? Well, under part one, instructions to the community about sacrifices, there's a little introduction about sacrifices. And then letter A and it says burnt offerings. And then you have the text about burnt offerings, and there's letter B, grain offerings, and then there's letter C, fellowship offering. So the text is structured the way a modern law book is structured. So as you're reading, you can follow the structure. Now, something else we do, we use cascading text so that each, when you look at a page, you can see there's two or three main subjects which are left justified fully. And then there's maybe three sub points, which are indented three eighths of an inch. And then there's some sub sub points under each sub point, And those are indented an extra three eighths of an inch. So as you're reading the text, the literal text, it is structured logically so your mind can follow the thought. So a law book, Leviticus, is completely structured as a law book. Narrative is presented just a little aids to help you. For instance, Genesis 1 
is usually presented in a Bible in several paragraphs. And in one paragraph, you'll have a couple of days of creation. In the readable Bible, on page one, it says day one in bold print, and then day two and day three. So as your eye looks at the page, you immediately see, oh, I've got seven days. And you see, here's the information on day one, day two, day three. Now, whenever we give you an aid like that, it's in italics. Whenever added words are there, it's always in italics, so you know they're added words. In Exodus, we have the story of the Exodus, of course, the uh, the narrative, right? It's just a story. So it's presented just as typical narrative texts and paragraphs. But then you get to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are typically in a Bible presented in three paragraphs. But in the readable Bible, when you turn the page and it says the Ten Commandments, you see Roman numerals 1 through 10, and you immediately see where all Ten Commandments are. How many times have, have our friends and neighbors and ourselves gone back to say, gee, I need to memorize the Ten Commandments. Can How many people can present the Ten Commandments out of memory? And people want to, but they have to dig into the text to find the Ten Commandments. In the readable Bible, you have Roman numeral 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 through 10. You immediately see them, and then the text follows it the same as in any other English translation. Right after the Ten Commandments, you have five pages of law code called the Book of the Covenant. That's all structured again like a law book, has its own table of contents, and each page of the law book is presented on parchment. So when you're trying to find the Book of the Covenant, you can quickly find it because it's those pages of parchment, parchment image, and you see the structure of the law code. Right after that, you have the specifications for the tabernacle furniture. Each specification is presented as an engineering specification document. Every word of the Hebrew text is there, but it's it reads as a specification. It says material, width, height, and, and instead of cubits, it's presented in inches. So that specification document, there's about 20 of them for different furniture and the walls and the construction of the tabernacle. It's all presented in today's natural format for specifying something. If you wanted me to make a desk for you, you wouldn't write a paragraph. You'd have a sketch at the top, say material, width, height, whatever. Very interesting. And if you go to their website, readablebible.com, there's some samples, there's some video clips. Uh, you can see uh, what uh, Rod is talking about, and it's illustrated there. And then you can go ahead and purchase the Bible. You can purchase uh, different uh, tools or different, like the Book of Mark, the Book of Luke, and some of those other uh, booklets that they've created. So they've got a lot of uh, materials there on the readablebible.com. Just plain readablebible.com. You don't need the the. If you go to the, it'll swap you over. If you Google the readable Bible, it's all over the internet, and you can buy it anywhere books are sold. But if you go to readablebible.com and you click on buy it there, uh, you'll get the best price and no tax. You can buy multiple copies and then quantity discounts as they buy more quantities? Uh, not on the website. 
Don't know where you can do that at the moment. There's nowhere to do that. You can buy a 27-book set, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy are each books. Joshua, Judges, and Ruth is a book. And people love holding an individual book in their hands and just reading Joshua or just reading Exodus. And in that 27-book set, in the back of each book, there's a list of every character in the book, who they are, what they did, what chapters they did it in. There's a list of the familiar verses in the book. There's a glossary of all the words not used in um, secular life. There's a subject index for the book. There's a lot of aids for each individual book. I just, um, the last few days, have read the book of Jeremiah. And it's just fun to sit there with a book that's entitled Jeremiah and read it. So do you have this in audio format as well, or is it just in... um... It's solely in print form at the moment. Eventually we'll get there. When you have a census, for instance, in Numbers chapter 1, the second half of the chapter is the first wilderness census. And and we have the head of the the column in bold print says uh, patriarch, and then it has the tribe. And then the next column is the, uh, I think, the leader of the tribe or the son of the patriarch, I forget which. And then you have a column with the number of people in the tribe. So it's somewhat of, a, of an issue. How am I going to read that? Because we don't present that in sentences. We present all the words in columns. Every word of the Hebrew text is there, but it's it doesn't read the same way you look at that table and you understand the text as opposed to seeing a paragraph of sentences where you can't understand the text. And we were visiting earlier that you have tools like the Book of Mark or some other books that individuals can use to give out to their neighbors. Mm -hmm. Explain that for our podcast listeners that they could order one book, maybe order a dozen of them, and then give them out to the neighbor. You can write your name in it and your phone number so your neighbors have your contact, and it's a great witnessing tool. Okay. The um, the Word of God will not return void, won't return empty. It always, always causes an action. There's always a reaction to reading the Word of God. So one of my goals in life is because I got saved in my living room all alone. Nobody had ever shared the gospel with me. Uh, I was just reading, and, and I read, and suddenly God turned the light on in Ephesians 2, 7, 8, and 9, and I got saved. So I like to get the Word of God in the people's hands. So I set up a foundation, Gospel Challenge Foundation, and a website, gospelchallenge.org. And at that website, we sell a gift edition of the Gospel of John. Now, this gift edition is structured for lost people. The gospel, the introduction simply says, there was a man named John who was a fisherman in Capernaum, and he ran into Jesus, and he wrote his story about what happened when he started following Jesus. It's not a scholarly introduction. It's an introduction for lost people who have no interest in scholarship. They're curious, what is this about? So um, we we have this simple introduction, invite people to read the gospel, and then we have the Gospel of John. It's about 40 pages long, no verse numbers. It looks like just like any other 
biography and it's presented like that. So then at the end, there's an invitation to respond to the gospel, to receive Christ as your Savior. Uh, we hope on the front page when you give them away that you'll put your name and your phone number so whoever you give them to will have access to you to ask questions afterwards. The cover is a beautiful cover, and it says "Gospel, the Gospel of John, and in letters right at the top, it says Gift Edition. And if your listeners will go to gospelchallenge.org, and there's a little video to watch that shows them how to give it away. So, Dennis, let's say you're my next door neighbor and you're lost, and uh, I just I want to somehow get the gospel into your hand. I know you're hostile towards Christianity, and I have just no way to present the gospel to you. Well, at Christmas time or Easter time, I can give you a gift edition of the Gospel of John simply by saying, "Hey, Dennis." Christmas is coming next week, or Easter's coming next week. I bought you this gift edition of the Gospel of John. It tells the whole story and just hand it to you. And it's amazing how lost people will accept this little gift that way, and then they end up reading the Gospel of John. So I would encourage your readers, this is a nonprofit effort. We sell these little Gospels for about a buck and a quarter apiece. If you're buying five because of shipping costs, it costs more than that. But you can buy 10 or 25 or 100 at the website and give them to your restaurant servers, uh, whoever you run into during the day with three simple sentences. Hey, I brought you this little, I have brought this little gift edition of the Gospel of John to lunch today to give my server. It tells the whole story about Easter, tells the story about Christmas, and hand it to them. And you get the gospel into the hands of lost people. Very good idea, and uh, I'm going to order some and uh, have them available when I go out and travel and go to, out to eat. And um, I think, too, that the podcast listeners could forward this podcast to their church, to the leadership, to the pastor. Maybe the church would want to order hundreds of these and make them available for their people to give out as well. So, Rod, thank you for coming on the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. It's not unconventional to want to share the gospel, but uh, it's a new idea. It's a new formatting, not necessarily a new translation, new formatting of Scripture, making it easy to read. And it's the readablebible.com, and I encourage you to go and check it out. And then check out also the gospelchallenge.org. And that watch that video that Rod has talked about. So, Rod, thank you for this vision that you've uh, been uh, promoting for 14 years, and we see the fruit of it. I'm sure you're very encouraged by how God's Word is getting out in places that it wouldn't otherwise have gotten out to. So, thank you for coming on the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. Amen, brother. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. This is the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please share it with your friends and leave a comment. Sat7 is a Middle East and North Africa broadcast media ministry making God's love visible and the gospel available to everyone in the Middle East and North Africa. Sat7 USA has resources in helping you honor God while protecting your family. You can avoid another regret, which is the failure of not creating an estate plan. Through a partnership with Financial Planning Ministry, Sat7 USA provides Christian experts to assist you in preparing your will or trust, all at no financial cost to you. Visit www.sat7usa.org and click on the tab Planned Giving for more information. SAT7 simplifies the process and makes it easy for you so that your family and friends 
don't have to bear the burden and regret of your failure to create an estate plan. Thank you again for joining this episode of the Unconventional Ministry Podcast.